I don't like to talk people out of their passion. Uh, the whole point of that talk was I don't like when people use the search for passion as another way to stop doing meaningful work or to put off meaningful work. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy uh, so I, I remember sitting down with you in New York, and here we are. I'm at like this special mastermind with our, with our good Very friend, special. Farnoosh. Mm-hmm. And you come in and you just do this unbelievable exercise. And I don't know if you remember the exercise, but you had us go back oh, yes. into <laughs> a, a very personal part in our life, write, write out like everything. And then we actually had to share it with the group. And here I am, like, I think the only male in the group <laughs> shared it too. It was, it was a blast. It was a great memory. And I have to say, your TED Talk that has over 6 million views, um, I'm excited to get into that. I'm also excited to talk about the TED Talk that maybe no one knows about. Although right, it's it has the over thir- TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. It has over 30,000 views. So it's like, it's like only in the world of TED is it like, oh, it only got 30,000 views. Well, that's what I think of it as. I think of it as like the ugly stepkid. It's like, like that one, no one watches that one. But 30,000 people, if, if 30,000 people showed up to my house, that'd be a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Presenting in front of 100 people is a lot of people. Yeah, Right. So it's just perspective. Um, right. And I mean, you've been all over the place. You've literally been all over the place. I feel so grateful that you get to come on Better Thank well. you. I haven't been anywhere and, in a while, though, I feel like. Well, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, we're like starving for human connection. So yes. your, let's, let's jump right in. I want to get your, a little bit of your background, but maybe you can tailor that into sure. the idea of the TED Talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion. I told you I was going to push back a little bit because sure. here I am, 24 years old. I am a big fan of saying, like, make sure that you, you understand that you live once, make sure that you don't waste your life. And it's very evident in watching your TED Talk. By the way, every single person that's listening to this, go watch the, the show notes. The show notes will have all the links. Um, so why don't you talk about a little bit of perspective? I agree with you. And I think you, you paint something that's really relevant. And there's, it's not shocking to me that has, has over 6 million views because we've been told this fluffy, like, go follow your passion, do your passion about, and it's like, okay, let's get practical. And well, okay, wrong with, what does that know. even mean? Well, there's nothing wrong with saying to someone that you should follow your passion. If, you're, if someone says to you, I'm really passionate about X, like I'm going to go do this. I'm passionate about cupcakes. I want to make a cupcake shop more than anything. Well, then you got to do it. I don't like to talk people out of their passion. Uh, the whole point of that talk was, I don't like when people use the search for passion as another way to stop doing meaningful work or to put off meaningful work. And uh, 6 million people, I I could never have predicted ever that anyone would look at it. I mean, you don't know these, this is the thing, you don't know. And I am not famous. I don't have a huge social media footprint or anything like that. So the fact that it hit home meant, whoa, this bothers a lot of people. I understand. But here's the thing. If you already know what you're passionate about and you're doing it, good for you. I could not be happier. But what I hear from people and why that talk is done so well is because people write to me and they say, thank God I thought there was something wrong with me. I felt stuck and I was scared because I thought I had to find my passion first. And so I don't take a job. And so I don't move forward and I don't do anything because I felt like I have to find the golden goose first. And 
That is the problem. It is a first world constructed problem that says, we need to know what that thing is. Someone literally wrote me the other day and she's like, well, I never really did what I think I wanted because you know I didn't sit down and determine my vision. I go, oh, you think I sat down on a Tuesday 20 years ago and said, here's what I'm gonna do. No one knows. That doesn't mean you don't have intention. There are things you know you enjoy and your life should be an exploration of those things. But for people who are fans of Seth Godin and I am a huge fan of Seth Godin. Huge. Um, yeah, I, I had Seth the, too. love him. I had the pleasure of meeting him um, at an event. I just fangirled totally. And I was like, I, uh, it's nice to meet you. I was just so intimidated. And then I went on stage and was on a panel. And he was backstage waiting to go on to give his keynote. And so we were on the panel. And you know, most panels are, you know, snoozeville. Yeah. Well, I know how to put on a little show. So I put on a show and I had some fun out there. Had a good time. I come back. And he was like, that was pretty amazing. Would you like to meet for coffee sometime? I'd like to know what you're up to. And I was like, what? And I go, I, got, I, got, I can't find my business card. He goes, just email me. It's fine. He's like, it's not. And he's like, you're really, you're, you're doing something great. And I was like, I don't even know what that was about. But I was like, this is a rare opportunity. This is, a, you know, a dream. And so I got in touch with him and told him he had made my whole week. He watched the TED Talk and then we did meet for coffee. And then a, a year later, he said, let's meet for coffee again. Actually, would you mind doing a Facebook Live with me? I said, you mean broadcast that I know you personally? Yes, I will do that. And so I went to his house and did a Facebook Live. And here's my point. He said, I want to talk about the dangers of hiding. And I said, okay, that's or why. And he goes, because that's what your TED Talk is. And I was yeah. like, it is. He said, because the search for passion is a way of hiding from work that you're afraid to do. And it's procrastination. And yep. it's assuming that there's knowledge that you don't have that you need first in order to live your life. Yep. So that's, that is what the point of that is. I would never want someone to not be passionate. Do I look like someone who's not passionate? Yep. Of course not. Do you agree well, to that? Push back on me. Go ahead. And, and by the way, by the way, I 100% agree because my first job, I gutted chickens. Like literally, good, I worked good, at a chicken farm. Work. I love that. And I love my work because I love working. I love adding value. I love working with people. And yet I'm not doing that now. And if you look at my life, it's a, it's a series of me failing forward, like you said in your talk. And so I, it was at right. at face value, it's like, yes, you want to do something that you're passionate about. But so many people, like Seth is saying, are using that as an excuse and or don't know and are, are legitimately frustrated because they're like, I'm being told that I need to be passionate about something, but how do I know what I'm passionate about if I, don't, I haven't have experience? They don't want to try. This is chickening out. Speaking of chickens, this <laughs> yeah, is a like way that. for people to say, why don't I wait until I know and then I'll be sure. Or I'm passionate about this, but Doris is more passionate, so I'll let her do it. There's a weird jockeying for stuff. P.S., who else gets a chance to gut chickens? Because when we think about chickens, we think about being weak for some reason, and we think about guts. We think about being really bold. So I, for one, would love to hear you write about what it means to know that even chickens have guts. Wow, wow. Well, I, I always tell people I have a, a greater appreciation for the chicken sandwich than the average human being. <laughs> well, uh, that too. So, so that you, too. Well, I want to I flesh out a little bit more of what you're talking about. Stop searching your passion. Your mom okay. had a really powerful quote that she shared with you, but you opened up your TED Talk by being rock bottom. Like you shared that story. So why don't you open up what that was like 
Um, and well, we yes. can do, we could do hey, we could do an exercise that you had me do in front of everybody. You can share your heart about. Yes. Because okay. this TED talk was birthed out of some pain. Yes, but realize there's a tendency to think that you had a thing, bad thing happen, and then you did a TED talk about it. Like, but that isn't how that TED talk came about. I didn't go, wow, this is what I had been thinking that idea bothered me for a while. And then I'll tell you exactly how that TED talk happened. Uh, it was a month before the event and a journalist had to bow out of that event. And someone I don't know who only vaguely knew me said, you should apply for the open spot. So I reached out and he said, do you have, a, do you have any TED talk ideas in you? And I said, I have a couple. And I pulled them out like playing cards. I hate this. I hate that. Because hating things is how I get to understand them a little bit. Like this annoys me, that annoys me. And I said, I hate this idea of fate, but I also hate this idea of passion. I feel like it's not enough to go on. And he goes, that's interesting. Why do you think that? So that talk was birthed out of an idea that me and the organizer wanted to chew on. And then I went back into my life and found where did this advice bother me? So lest you think that you have to have a bad thing happen and you do a TED talk, I want to make sure I debunk that because it came out of fun with the idea. What would be a really great idea? And then I said, well, the reason I hate it is because when I got laid off, I already knew what I was passionate about, writing, editing. I loved content and I got laid off and then didn't have the job and then was hosting a radio show and that radio show got canceled. So everything stopped. And what I identified as an editor for Martha Stewart, which I was very proud to be a magazine editor and a daily radio, live radio show host on Sirius XM for the Martha brand, I was very proud of that. And then in a minute, both things were gone. So I said, well, what do I say when I'm uh, meeting people? I used to have a cool job and now I'm just, what am I? There's that crisis moment. Usually you have it at some point in your life. And I said, it doesn't matter that I'm passionate about writing. What I have to figure out is, what do I do now? Now, yeah. back up to my mother's advice. My mother's advice to me was when I was probably 24, when I was younger, I was probably 22, 23. I was just woefully depressed. I just was afraid of everything. I am still afraid of most things, but I was really terrified. And I didn't want to get any job because I said, I don't want to be stuck there because then I'll have to do that forever. Um, I just don't want to do it. My mom's like, you need to get a job. You're alone and you aren't meeting anyone and you have no purpose at all, no job to go to. I said, but I'm afraid if I take the job, I'll be stuck. And she said, you're not going to figure out your life first. You, you, live your, you create your life by living it. You go and you do it and you figure out what, you, what did you learn from it? What did you learn from gutting chickens? Right? Like then you mm -hmm. figure it out, okay, I didn't love that. Try this, try this. There's something about this my generation, maybe not as much. I'm Gen X, but your generation, certainly they think they're supposed to have, they're reading their lives as backwards memoirs. Yep. They're supposed to have this great story set out and that's why they did it. They're doing it for a postage stamp size story that will go in a social media profile. Yep. That is not how your life is lived. You mess up, you take jobs you hate, you meet people you love and you follow them anywhere. And that is how you find your work. Twyla Tharp in one of my favorite books on creativity, The Creative Habit, said that your life, the life you'll have five years from now, depends on two things, the people you meet and the books you read. Yep. If you're not meeting people and you're not read, if you're not meeting people or reading anything that excites you, your life will probably stay where it is. Yep. Yeah, I, I love that quote, by the way. And you, you also made a, a correlation between like, okay, college students it's it's hard enough picking a major yeah my let God, alone no. figuring out my... your life's passion the expectations are too high 
Who comes out of college knowing what they're going to do? Very few. The rest of us get jobs. Maybe you knew. But most of us, we get jobs and we figure it out and we learn being around other people. You don't conjure it from a textbook. So I think kids are being hard on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. If If you're teaching to or if you get to speak to a freshman in college, like a whole freshman class, what would be your number one piece of advice that you'd give them? I'd say dig into whatever fascinates you and you find very like that you're curious about, get really good at it. If you major in French poets of the 1800s, you go, well, how is that going to turn to a job? Well, no one gets a job based on that thing. I have an MFA in poetry. That's, you might think, well, how's that? How do I get a job in that? There's no job in that. The person who's really curious and super articulate about a specific era of literature and knows how to read and understand what it means, that person could be a great communicator. And they're very nuanced and they understand how to learn. So I'd say to freshmen, your job is to learn how to learn now and to follow that, that interest, fascination. Don't check boxes with courses. Only take stuff that you're into and learn it. Because you'll wish you had. Yeah. What's interesting was I I have a story back in when I was still in high school. I took a college class. It was macroeconomics. And I got an A on the test. And I proudly told my dad, hey, dad, I got an A on this macroeconomics test. And and he asked me something. He's like, did you learn? What did you learn? You're like, I learned to check boxes and get the A. I was like, of course I learned. I got an A in the class. He's like, Caleb. As soon as you realize this, like just because you get an A doesn't mean anything. And you learned anything. No, that's a really great, that's a great piece of wisdom. The hardest classes in college for me were the ones that I learned the most. And one was like a really, I had never even thought this way. We're reading Immanuel Kant and like all these things that I had not been exposed to and I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to write these papers. And the teacher was like, showed me how to think this way. And it changed how I thought about things forever. I can't, I don't remember anything specifically from that class. It doesn't matter. It's how you shape your brain to be a learner because anyone who wants to have a great career is going to be a knowledge worker. And that means they need to, it's not based just on what you know, but how well you learn. And I uh, say that my fear is always, I don't know enough things. I sometimes feel like I don't know anything, but I can learn things quickly and adapt quickly. And so that has been really helpful in my own career. One thing that you said in the TED Talk, and I might be butchering it a little bit, is you said that you can be passionate in the moment. It doesn't necessarily have to be a future thing. It can be more of like a present thing. And I really resonated with that because I think one of the one of the ideas that is hard to wrap my head around is like everyone's not going to – like everyone is not going to have this grand vision or this – I love Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. by the way, and he was, on a, yes. he was on an interview where he articulated this so well. He's like, not everyone's going to be like Steve Jobs. And and no, of course thank not. God for that, <laughs> because if everyone is like like myself and has these big visions of the world, like we're gonna get nothing done. You have to have no. some people that buy into your vision. I'll, please articulate a little bit more about this idea of future passion, present passion, because I'm a firm believer that is yes, I want people to live an intentional life, and I believe part of in, intentionality is finding joy and being fulfilled in what you're doing. And I think some oh, of that absolutely. is passion. And also, I think a lot of people, when they say find your passion, it's like this, like, dude, like, it's this future thing that sometimes people- Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Totally. I mean, it's, it's not a future thing. Uh, two examples of how this works. First, they say that the work 
that feels like it comes so naturally to you, like riding a bike, when you feel flow, when you lose track of time and you're into it and you love solving it and you love doing it, that doesn't mean you should keep that job forever. But it, you, the, our job is to pay attention to how we feel when we're doing certain things. And do we like that? Do we not like that? Um, I'm not for like industrial age, just get a job and work, 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 and then retire. Of course not. Who's thinking that way anymore? There's an example, a friend of mine, she would write down, she's trying to figure out where she's going to go next with her own business. And so after every call, every engagement, every task for a while, she would write down how she felt right after doing it, scale of one to 10, and also notes. I love this. Here's what I love about it. So you could say, well, I hate dealing with clients. Do you? Sound like you had a great call. If you capture it in the moment, can you keep track? Not all, not forever, but just to see, what do I like? Maybe you're like, I got, that was so fun figuring that out, but I'm not a graphic designer, but I loved playing with the thing. Where are you losing it? And you don't have to pick one track and only do that. The other example is I was a magazine editor. I was writing stories. I loved doing that, uh, but I didn't want to go ahead in journalism. Once I was done, I was like, nah, I gotta do something else. Now, my life now is I actually work with a lot of people in financial services, but I didn't go, Hmm, I think I'm going to intend to live a life with financial services. I don't really have an interest in it personally, but I spoke at an event and I started to gain traction. People started to talk to me about branding. And I said, you guys already make enough money. Wait, you probably aren't going to be interested. Like in my mind, I was like, they don't care. But it turned out that they cared a lot because a lot of people who run their wealth management firms would like to retire and they want people to keep coming to them and their team. And the only way to have it be bigger than just Joe who's in charge is to make the team matter. And how do you make the team matter? But you brand it and you give that brand value. A lot of people who are like five, 10 years from retirement are realizing that that's where the value is. So now they're on board. Not all, but some. I have zero passion for financial stuff. I'm intimidated by it. I don't understand what you do. Like, I don't really get how you even do it, but I have spent hours and years now in the middle of a creative, free-flowing, creative discussion, having them write stories like the way I made you write a story and pulling from it who they are and been in the middle of been like, this is so fun. It's so exciting. It's a full body hit. And I go, did you think you'd be a consultant to the financial services industry? Would you have checked that box on a list? Never, never in a million years. But the feeling I get doing, I go, this is what I'm good at. And when you feel that, I wouldn't have felt it if I didn't give it a chance. And if the financial industry goes away and I just help dog walkers, then I'll be helping dog walkers brand themselves. So you realize that your skill and what you love is transferable. You can figure out what you love doing and do it for these people, do it for these people. You never have to stay in one thing, but you have to pay attention to what really sets you on fire. Yeah, I my mission statement when I was 19 years old that I put on and it's in my it's on my office right now. It's to help people see and reach their highest potential. And I I didn't articulate like what we do now, where where we say better wealth is helping you create more financial certainty so that you can live a more intentional life. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. articulate that, but it was like I want to help people live their highest potential in life, be fulfilled in that. And I know that money is one of the biggest reasons that's holding people back. Yes. Is, it's the obstacle. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. I am passionate. Like I, I do like learning about money and I've been a saver for like, I just, I've been drawn to that, but I'm more passionate about helping people live intentionally. And that's why I love health. That's why I love other exit. Like I, I love marketing and that's why I was in New York. I, nothing to do with well, money is about how right. to brand you care myself about through that. a book. Right. 
And so I'm, I'm just echoing what you're saying. It's, it's very much the result that people get. And I happen to do better wealth because in my humble opinion, it's the best way for me to serve people. And I love how you're helping people. It's not like you woke up one day and you're like, I'm going to help this sector. But no, it was them. a total accident. It just took shape. Yeah. But we don't allow ourselves to try those things enough or go, hey, maybe. And I just said, what do you need? When I first got laid off and I was like, I need clients if I don't want to get a full-time job. And so I just talked to people and I said, well, what do you wish someone would take off your hands? What? Here's what I do. I said, I can do content. I could do it. What do you wish you could just have someone do for you? And I started taking on the projects that they didn't want and really succeeding at them. People were like, this is amazing. It didn't matter what the industry was. That's why I say, don't get over nichified and worried about that. Because what's fun to do for the financial you know, folks is it's just as fun to do for other people. It's serving humans. We are wired to be pro-social. It feels good to be connected uh, to different degrees. Different people like different degrees of connection. But I'm realizing that like, I like helping humans see what, who they are when they're too close to see and putting it into words, which are my favorite tool. So that's my thing. I made this up, Caleb. Like I made it up. Yeah, I love it. I think everyone can make it up. Titles are misleading because you, in your role at your firm, a lot of people in other roles don't think like you at all, but you still have the same title. So it's kind of yeah. like, don't get hung up on those things. They're not mass produced. That's the old days, mass produced roles. Now your job, wherever you get it, is going to be U-shaped. And when you leave, they're not going to get someone to fill it. They're going to get someone at the same, around the same price, same responsibilities, but they're going to fill it with their shape. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about your other TED Talk. And then, but okay. I also want to touch on branding and that exercise that you had us do. Yeah, I think it's going to add so much value to all the, all of our listeners. So, the other TED talk that you had, it's it's about time to rethink happy ever after. Yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you talk about that? And it was after it was it was three years ago that you did this, and and I you know it's interesting. I thought you did a phenomenal job on this, and it's so interesting that how some because definitely the passion was where like obviously there was a demand for that and people shared yeah. that. But this, this should have 3 million views. And well, it's only I know, a matter of time. I think I know why. And I don't think it's, oh, the talk isn't that good. It was, and this is where titles and online stuff does matter. It's time to rethink happily ever after. There's nothing in there about relationships or single or love. And so it misses all of those things. And back when they were naming that talk, they just didn't think about it. And boy, do I wish I could go back in time. Because if I could change the title on that, I think it would be more. But essentially... I think this is even more polarizing possibly than the passion thing. Uh, and we, it's such a heavy lift because there's such pressure on people to couple and desire to couple. But the way in which we see it culturally is women, you know, when, you know, should be coupled up and be in it for the long haul and a man should settle down and everyone should do this thing and, and real love lasts forever. And I've, thought about that for a long time. And like, I've been in and out of a lot of relationships and I don't like when single people, which by the way, were born single. A lot of people end up being single again. There's certainly no shame in it, but they naturally attribute a kind of judgment to that. Like, oh me, all my broken relationships behind me. It's like, well, they came to an end. Why can't we look at relationships as having a beginning, a middle and an end? Because the way we are taught to believe from everything in our culture is that for a relationship to be successful, the only rule is you have to die while you're in it yeah. or your partner has to die while you're in it. If one of you dies, it was successful. If you part ways and survive the relationship, what's wrong with you? Can't keep a man. What's wrong with you? Your lady left you. 
uh, I get, I mean, uh, just the other day I was, I do videos and I post them and I must've been showing my hands around and someone wrote, Oh, no ring, no wonder. And I was like, oh. wow. I'm like, that is so archaic to me. So you didn't think that someone didn't pluck me off the shelf. So you're evaluating my, my value based on whether a man proposed and I decided to live a very specific kind of life. And for me personally, that life never appealed to me, that life. It still doesn't. I mean, I'm in my 40s now. It, if it doesn't appeal to me now, it's really never going to. I understand that there are plenty of people, men and women, who want to be partnered for life. They want that thing. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe you'll maybe you won't survive the relationship or maybe you will. But if you end up on your own again, we put a lot of pressure uh, on people who are, and the people who are single. I also have done a lot of stand-up comedy and I, in the Hannah Gadsby spirit, I refuse to, you know, there's jokes we can make about being single that do not self-deprecate. Oh me, you know, who would want to be with me? And I think, oh, since I'm not coupled, it means something's wrong with me. There's plenty of people in couples and neither of them deserve each other. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> yeah. that's my feeling about that is that well, I, you know. You made a point in your talk. You made a point in your talk to be like, yeah, but uh, there's a lot of unhealthy relationships out there. Oh my God. Just like, Being in a relationship past. is not a, you know, it's like getting the A on the class that you talked about. So great. You, someone decided to ask you that, gave you jewelry, you had the party, you made the vows, and now you're observed by law as owning each other's stuff. Okay. And you're going to have kids. and That's great. But when that doesn't work for one or both people anymore, well, I just don't want to be divorced. Why? You, would you rather be in something that isn't working? Why? We give ourselves a chance to evolve and out and into so many different things. Why do we put that pressure? You want to get married? Fine. It's not for me. But I worry that there's a lot of people, a lot like me, who thought, I didn't know I was allowed to do that. I thought I was supposed to prove that I was wanted and I didn't know I was allowed to do that. And I think there's a lot of people who are married who said, I didn't know I was allowed to do what I wanted. Why didn't I do what I wanted? And so that's my feeling. I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what other people think of that because that's just how I live my life. But I wanted other single people, specifically single women, to know that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. And let's stop saying that there is. And I was just about to ask you why that topic out of all the topics. I'll tell you why. You, Again, I'm about yeah. to take the romance out of this for you. I yeah. think you have a romantic idea of the TED thing, and I'm going to rip the romance right out. The people at this one TEDx event uh, said, we watched your, your TED talk and we really liked it. Do you want to come give one here? And I said, well, I don't want to do the same one. They're like, no, we'll do a different one. What else do you want to do? One? I go, I don't know. You know what really bothers me? Again, my go-to. Um, you know what bothers me? I hate when people make you feel bad about being single. I don't feel bad about being single. They go, oh my God, that sounds great. Because it was TEDx St. Louis women, which I don't think exists anymore. But uh, I said, what do women need to hear? Well, I'm not going to tell them, go girl, live your best life and do yoga every day. That's not my thing. My yeah. thing is stop hating yourself because you're not going along with this old model of what relationships have to be. Yeah. So I picked it because it was a, you know, it was just something that kind of stuck in my head and always sort of bothered me because I feel I'm in the right life and I feel bad for people who are not because they didn't know they could. Right. Talk to me about comedy and how long have you been in it and like what have you what have you learned in just Oh my god. That. I mean that could be a whole episode in itself. Well, look, I don't make my living from comedy. I am by all measures an amateur comic. Like I don't get paid to go do appearance. This is not what my life is because quite frankly, what you would need to do to do that also doesn't appeal. Like, I don't want to work every night till late and be around. Like, that's not what I want to do. 
God bless the people who do that. But I started, I'll tell you what, my very first stand-up set ever at Gotham Comedy Club was two days before that TED Talk, the big one. I had both the same week. And I was just a little stressed out about that. And I was like, what am I more afraid of? To get up and do five minutes in front of this small club in New York City or 10 minutes in front of 3,000 people in the Midwest. Uh, that was a crazy week, but both things changed my life. So you never know how this stuff would happen. But you know how I did comedy? Uh, signed up for class. That's how I did it. People like, always want to do that. I'm like, there's a lot of classes. I signed up and the woman said, okay, get up and do five minutes. Uh, okay. And then let's talk about what you did and why it's funny or why it's not. There was no magic. I thought they were going to gather us in the room and tell me the secrets of what stand-up comics know. They, no. You just work and work and work at it. And so for a couple of years, so this is the same year I did that TED Talk. It's coming up on five years ago. I started doing it and I did the amateur thing where you do bringer shows and you bring, I was doing like a lot of them. Well, you can only keep that up so long because your friends are only willing to come to so many shows. Yeah. And I do get invited occasionally to do bar shows and specials. Right now, it, you know, we're recording this at the time of COVID. Uh, there is no comedy scene. There's just yeah. people doing awkward shows on Skype. Uh, but I was not doing it all the time, but I learned it uh, because I wanted to understand the form. Just like if you're a writer and you want to try the sonnet. Yeah. Here's a form. Here's what's expected of that form. I think it's incredibly humbling because uh, I go and speak a lot at public, you know, speaking at big conferences and they give you wonderful treatment and they get, take you out to dinner and, oh, there's our speaker. I mean, that's the life. They pay for you to go there. You have to take your own Uber or the subway down to this club. You get up there. They don't give a crap. Who are you? Oh, you're going to read your resume? Nope. Make me laugh or I'm going to throw something at you. Like yeah. it is incredibly humbling. And a teacher I had said to me, uh, you don't need special talent to be a comic. He's like, this is a skill. You learn how to write a joke, set it up, knock it down, left turn, left turn, left turn. That's it. If you can learn that, anyone can get up and do comedy. You just might not like it. The rejection is huge, but I think the reason it's so hard is for most people, it's the first time they've gotten on stage. It's the first time they've written in this form and they're learning everything at once. Yeah. Well, uh, more people would rather die than get up on stage, apparently. I, I don't necessarily believe that, but I think it's somewhat true. <laughs> well, comedy is, t it is terrifying, but I was like, I would be nervous for this. I'm not nervous to speak in front of people at an event, but in the comedy scene, I, it makes me very nervous. And I think that's good. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Keeps you humble. I love it. Uh, let's talk about branding. And, and then let's, let's tailor that into what you, what some exercises yes. you do. And yes. if you're driving right now, listening to this, careful, but I really would sincerely like, I want you guys to take a deep breath and do what Terry's telling us to do, because I'm telling you, I had a breakthrough and it, it just got me to step back and not overthink things. And, and really, I think you were talking about writer's block. I think that's why you were there, but it's just like that exercise was so like the whole room changed after that yes. because there was authentic, yes. like people were being authentic and people are being real. And I realized that the pe person that can communicate honestly and articulate that is going to, is going to do bigger and better and impact more people than they could ever imagine. Yes. Uh, so two things. One is what you experience in that workshop. And since you've, you've so nicely teed that up, I want to address that and then connect to why it matters with branding. Because um, these are two things that I've kind of welded together. Okay. So on one hand, I've worked as a brand advisor, which is basically 
I'd say I'm one of the highest paid poets because all I do is take what people tell me and put it into language that they fall in love with and that they want to share with everyone. Um, that's as a writer, that's what I do. And I've been doing that for years, writing whatever it is people need written. And I realized that what makes the writing powerful is that the more you dig into that person and let their genius come out, I got all the material I want to work with. Now, a few years ago, I've been going on these writing retreats for six years. They're called gateless writing retreats. I don't expect anyone to know what that is. A friend invited me. It was created by this woman named Suzanne Kingsbury. And I was a writer, but blocked and uh, defensive and afraid I wouldn't write anything of note again. And uh, I went in, went to the retreat and she set up what's called the container. And she says, here's the rules of this retreat. And they are, there's no criticism. There's no judgment. We don't question the writer's work. We only point to what's working. And I was like, how's that going to help us get any better? That's not going to help. I need you to give me really straight feedback. That's what everyone says. But in fact, this, the, the toughest criticism of your work, when it's given too early, it will prune you down to the nub and you won't actually be able to access anything of worth. My point is that retreat was a breakthrough for me, the way that exercise was a breakthrough for you, but it was three days. And I left there on wings and I said, oh my God, I felt like I was connected to the part of me that loved to write and it felt free and it felt fun. So I kept going. This is years ago. And then finally I said, you know what? Maybe I'll be certified to be an instructor. I don't know why. It's not like I'm going to run writing retreats. Guess what I do now? I run writing retreats. I was never part talk about never part of the vision. I was like, no, no, that's a Suzanne thing. I'm not doing that. That's weird. I, I, no one will come to my retreats. I was wrong. So the point of it is this. I have been certified in this wonderful tool that, as just as you said it, transforms the room. Because what it does is creates a very safe bubble. You can say, this is a safe place. Without rules, it's not safe. Because if I say something and someone goes, I didn't like what you just said, well, I hold that container tight so no one is afraid to share, right? They know they can share. The way this gateless writing exercise works, and I'll tell you how I use it with branding, because you can be just used for writing. It can be used for brains or anything you want. But with your group, I set that container. I said, here are the rules. I'm going to give you a few minutes, and I'm going to give you a prompt, and you're going to just write. We're not bringing anything you wrote before. You're going to write right now. And so that is the hallmark of this method. I give you a, a very well-considered prompt. I don't remember what prompt I gave you that day because I do different ones all the time, but I get you in kind of a meditative state. And then I give you, I gave you guys maybe 10 minutes. I mean, usually give a little longer before we were tight on time. Give you 10 minutes, you just write. You don't think, you just let the stuff surface, like it's rising to the surface, like your intuition is telling you where to go. And you all did that. And then I say, okay, who'd like to start? And then as many people as want will read their work. Now, would you think any of those people, including yourself, would be like, I'm going to write and then read it unedited to the room? No, it sounds terrifying. But the most amazing stuff comes out of people because they didn't have time to block it. Yep. Now, do you remember the prompt? Uh, uh, it was something um, about overcoming failure. No, I know I wouldn't have said it. No, it had something to do um, uh, might've been something like this. I have tons of them, but yeah. I usually have something like, I want you to think of a time. Usually you don't want to direct emotionally too much. So I'd say, I want you to think of a time uh, when there was no turning back, or I want you to think of a time when something felt closed to you, like yeah. very neutral, right? But that could mean anything and it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to have you fill a blank. I want you to just yeah. write. And so that's what people do. 
Now, what happens is what I realize is I go, okay, there's this gateless writing side and then I do my branding work over here. I guess there are two different things I do. No, I realize that the gateless as a tool, whether you're working in a group of people or even one-on-one, allows them to access story so that they, they don't even realize what's coming up and why. And then when they share it with you, it's a what beautiful treasure chest of stuff for someone who's trying to help them see what they care about. Because you show me a story. I did this with a room full of the top financial advisors. There were 20 people there. Uh, 99.9% of them men. And uh, they sat there and I said, okay, you're going you're gonna to do some writing. What? These guys don't do that. You're going to open up and share your feelings. Oh, no, but I didn't know. But if you say no. that, they're going to go, no. So I go, I just, I don't care what you write. Just, you're just going to write and trust me, just humor me. I need you to do this because I'm going to show you what we do with it. And then they read. And for each of them, I go, oh, see, now I understand why you do this. This is the kind of leader you are. Look at how you did this. Isn't this brilliant? I point out the genius and what they've created. They go, oh my God, I didn't even realize I thought that. Yes. So now I don't do branding without the gateless tool. And if I'm doing a one-on-one work, I'll give them the assignment and say, here's how long you have on our system, write it and send it to me. And then I point out all the things I love about it. And then feedback feels good and you're more able to generate. It busts through blocks. I use it for myself. When I have to write a blog post, I go, oh God. I go, nope, here's what you're going to do. And I get past that block every time. So I believe it can work in any industry. And I am so happy that you found it moving. So for my audience, you should name a prompt. <laughs> and yes. for anyone that yes. wants to do it, Send it to me and I'll pass Let's it on to Terry. Let's do it. I would love it. Okay. Not yep. if you're driving. Okay. Yep. So what I do is I just tell people to like take a breath. And when you write, people go, what do I write about? What do I say? I write an essay. No, you do not write an essay. You do not write a book. You write what we say is you write from the body. So if I say, I want you to think of a time when you lost a thing. Could have been, actually, no, here's a better one. I'm going to give you this prompt for everyone right now. Take a deep breath. (sighs) Okay. I want you to just feel your weight in the chair. Feel yourself inside your skin. Not up in your brain. Not up in your seventh chakra floating around wherever you are. Come down into the body. Because writing is a physical act. And if you don't connect physically with it, nothing comes out. And when you write from the body, you write what you hear, what you see, what you remember in detail. So I say, here's your prompt. We live in a, in a world of things, stuff. We're not just in the world of ideas. And we handle objects all the time, all kinds of things, things we don't even think about. I want you to close your eyes and picture an object that you always really liked or used all the time, whether you have it anymore or not. Now we just sit there and go, what object is going to float up into your hands? Don't worry about what's the better one to write about. That's not the point. The point is an object. Is it your grandfather's pocket watch? Is it a glass that you broke that you really loved? Is it an earring you found? An object. Stay very physical with the object and then write about that object. What does it look like? In detail. I want to be able to sense it with my own body, even though it's your object and your thing. Write about that object. And then I'd say, start writing. And actually, I did uh, create, and people kept wanting prompts. So I created a thing of 30 of them that are audio, just like this. So you can sit and listen to it. So just write that. Set the timer for yourself for 10 minutes and write about that object. And then put it away. 
go back to it later and read it. What do you see? What's beautiful about what What came up for you? Why do you think you thought of that? And you wouldn't believe, I could pull your whole brand out of a sock you found under your, under your uh, bed. <laughs> I, I saw it in action and it's, you say? it's a, such a powerful such a powerful exercise. I wanted you to share that with, with my audience because I'm telling you, do that. If you're someone like me that doesn't like to write, that's very- Doesn't matter I, if you like to write. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it help, it, this will be transformational. Um, so thank write you. Write it so and much. send it to you and then, then you'll send it to me. I'd like to so, see some of those. I, I, would love, I would love to get them. So um, Terry, I'm really interested to hearing your answer to my legacy question. I, I like to end- kind of the, the show with this idea of like, this is your last day on earth and you're with the people that you love the most and you can share with them one idea through one conversation. What, what would that conversation look like? I, am I leaving them and they're staying? Is it like yeah, advice for yeah. them without me? Or are we all about to die? You're, you're <laughs> going to be, I, I don't want to get too graphic here. It's you're gone. You're I'm dead. leaving. You're, you're, okay. you're gone forever. <laughs> so it's not career advice. It's kind of like, what's the idea that you want to have had your memory of your last discussion? Yeah. And, and it's like, you've, you've had an amazing life today. You've learned a ton. Summarize what that one big oh, God. thing you would share with some. I think if I had to, if someone said, okay, every day could be our last day. We don't know. It would be. I just think of the audience and what I need to help them to feel or realize. Not like, oh, I have so much knowledge I have to tell you in a minute. And I think I would say, and the feeling I'd want them to know is that they, no one was supposed to do anything, that no one was wrong, that there was no big thing that you were supposed to do, that if there's one thing you could do, which is don't give yourself hell over having not done this or done that, because I know I do that to myself and I think it's a waste. You have so little energy for so many things you want to do. Why waste it on things that you thought you should do? I would say, just do what you want. Don't tolerate stuff that isn't what you want. There's just not enough time. Clearly, because I'm leaving now. I'm yeah. leaving you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, you are, you're giving away something really valuable, five ways to unlock your creative genius. And, you, and our listeners can get that at terrysentme.com. That will also be in the show notes. Anything yeah. that you want to finish off, how can people connect with you? And I, again, I hope, I hope people can take a step back, watch your TED Talks, do that exercise. And if, yes. you're here, if you're here watching, listening to this or watching this and saying, Caleb, what does this have anything to do with better wealth? It has everything oh. to do with better wealth because better wealth is intentional living. And if you're not living intentionally, if you're not fulfilled, if you don't, if you're not satisfied with where you're at, like you've said, then you're not wealthy. Right. Oh, there's a richness. I mean, the treasure that we're capable of giving and experiencing, it's kind of infinite. And that is something that I feel like I, I look, I, as I said, I'm, you figure it out as you go and you go, where is it? Where am I being drawn toward? What is most helpful? And where do I find that flow, which is what everyone wants to find? For me, it's, God, I hate that people think that they're either creative or they're not, or they, they don't have this, or they blame outside people. All of that magic, call what you want, divine, whatever. That genius is in us, not just a few lucky people. And that guide is something I put together because I was like, I wish 
people felt a little more permission to access their genius through the creative process, whether you define yourself as an artist or not, because humans are creators, not artists, right? And so that guide is, it's a printed short thing and it's also an audio guide you can listen to in 20 minutes. And so the way to get in touch with me is if that sounds fun to you, then you go to terrysentme.com, you'll get the guide and then I'll be in touch because you'll be on my list and we'll be in, talking to each other. But if you're like, no, I hate all of this, um, but I do like you, well, then you can find me pretty much on any platform you'd find me anyway. I'm the only one with my name. It's not going to be hard to find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. And so if you have any reason, you have any questions, of course, I'm always here. I'm very accessible and I haven't had real shoes on in months. So <laughs> yeah, this whole, this whole a coronavirus. We're here, it's, it's, basically. <laughs> we're, it makes us the thankful. And I don't know what your views are with hugs. I'm a hugger. And oh I don't my God, know, I'm like, totally a hugger. I miss hugs. And by the way, it's going to be weird. Like it, it's weird right now. If you go to the grocery store or if you're just in, like, I don't know what's acceptable. So I just like, I, I do do my like social distancing deal, but like, I can't wait for the day that we can go back. And I don't know if that will ever happen. What's your two cents on that? I think that hugging will never go away, but handshakes will. And I am okay. totally okay with that. Yeah. I think that we have all had a kind of traumatic moment. And I think we're going to be afraid of each other's bodies for a while, which is very, very hard and sad. But we are naturally now suspicious of getting cooties from each other, which is 100% true. Like that's, we're afraid of catching something. So I think that we have to find new ways to be generous and new ways to be connected. But yes, I, I miss being in the room with people. And I think that will come back. I think it's just we can't it's like surfacing and scuba diving you don't come up too fast right yeah terry thank you so much you're amazing thank you. grateful to have you in my life thank you thank you so much for listening to the better wealth podcast make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode you can listen on apple Podcasts, spotify google or your favorite podcast player